Gracious Father, we do bow to you this day. You are Lord, you are King. And Father, we want to follow you more and follow you better than we have in the past. And so we pray that you would open your word to us now, that we might know what it is to love Jesus and follow him by faith. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? In Romans 14, Paul is explaining to his church what it means to live as one body, as a mix of people with various backgrounds and various levels of faith and knowledge. How are they to walk together as the people of God on earth? It's an important thing for us to read about and learn because if, the, if, if God's people don't live together well, It hinders both the church's witness and our worship, two of the key components of our life together as Christians. We exist to and were created for the purpose of worshiping our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to witness in the sight of this world the saving grace and love of Jesus Christ. So if those things are impaired, especially due to internal church conflict, then the church herself is in deep trouble. But of course, people being people, disagreement and conflict are inevitable. And so to help address this reality, Paul has been comparing those who are weaker in faith and those who are stronger in faith. Last week, he taught that the strong in faith should welcome the weaker into the church in a loving manner, seeking their genuine good in order to build each other up in the love of Christ. This week, Paul is continuing to explain how the stronger in faith can act to ensure that the church lives and grows together in peace and unity. He tells them quite simply what they're not to do and what they are supposed to do and the pitfalls and benefits of those things. And so that's exactly how we're going to approach the text as well. So we're going to start where we always want to start, right? What not to do. All right. I hope you're as excited as I am. Paul tells us what our goal is as a church, what the goal of the church overall is is in many ways. It's in verse 19. It says that we are to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's our goal as we live this life together. And so what must we avoid doing to ensure that we accomplish that goal? Well, Paul makes it clear right from the very first verse of our passage. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let's stop there for a second. Paul here is continuing the point that he made in verses 10 through 12, that it's God's job to judge people, not ours. It's not a job that we can do well, and it's not a role we're supposed to take on. Everyone will one day stand before God to give an account of their lives to God. 
So that's his work. And we should leave him to it. That sounds simple enough, right? Don't judge people. All right. Okay. But what jumps out at me here is that Paul says we shouldn't pass judgment on one another any longer. To not do something any longer means you've been doing it. You can't stop doing something you've never done. Now, I'm sure no one in this room, certainly not me, has ever judged someone. Never, right? But just for the sake of this sermon, let's try to imagine just for a moment that someone in the church may potentially has judged someone before. Thinking about that scenario, how easy do you think it would be for those two people to live together as one body, to be a part of one church together? How easy is it for them to just be pleasant to one another, never mind actually building each other up in love? It's probably pretty difficult, right? See, judging one another doesn't just mean we're taking God's role upon ourselves, but it also sets up barriers between one another, between siblings in the faith. Now, we do want to remember, before we go any further, that in this chapter, Paul is talking about secondary-level things, right? Not the primary, not the indisputable doctrines of the faith. He's addressing people who are judging one another about the secondary things. In this case, specifically, what they eat or which religious holidays they celebrate. Right? This is less of a debate in the church in our time, though we still have some disagreements on these things. But I guess to make it a little more real to us, we could think of, as I spoke about last week, our differing worship styles. Right? A church like ours that uses liturgy and sings a mix of hymns and, and contemporary songs versus, say, a church that doesn't do those things. That's what's being debated about here. That's what's being disagreed about, what they're judging each other for. And so judging one another on those secondary level things, all it is doing is setting up divisions within the church that don't need to exist. And so there's a different option here, Paul is telling us. And he makes this point with a bit of a wordplay. Again, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The word translated judgment is the same word translated later in the verse as decide. Literally the same word. What Paul is trying to communicate here is that his church has decided to pass judgment, but they could make a better decision. A better judgment could be made, which is the decision to never hinder another member of the faith, to never cause a fellow Christian to sin. Rather than judging them for disagreeing with you, decide to be on their side. Decide to help them not to stumble.
To illustrate this a little bit, let me give you a food-based example. Since Paul's talking about food, let's keep it there. Let's talk for a moment about our friends in the Roman Catholic Church. Many people know that in that tradition, you only eat fish on Fridays, right? It's bled over into some other traditions as well. That's actually not a thing for Anglicans. You don't only have to eat fish on Fridays. You want a burger, go nuts. Now, if somebody wants to eat fish only on Fridays, good. That's great for them. If that is a discipline that helps them draw closer to God, wonderful. But in no way is it required. There is nothing in the Bible that leads us there as being something necessary for salvation. Now, placing a stumbling block in front of someone then would be like inviting that faithful Roman Catholic over for dinner on Friday and serving them steak. Maybe that's what you want to eat. Maybe you are really good at cooking it. And maybe you think, well, their practice is just kind of silly anyways. It's not that big a deal. Well, they would disagree with you. To them, it's not silly at all. It's actually a serious matter. And now you have put them in the place where they need to make a decision. Do they want to offend you or do they want to offend God? Now again, you might be thinking, this really doesn't sound like that big a deal. Doesn't the Bible, after all, make it clear that following Jesus is not about food and drink? Paul literally says that in verse 17. So what's the problem? Well, yeah, you're right. He does say that. And following Jesus isn't about what we eat and what we drink. But look at what Paul says before that. Before you jump down to 17 to make your point, let's read the whole thing. Verse 14. I know, Paul says, and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Basically saying, eat and drink whatever you want. But he continues, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Paul's point here is that it may not be a foundational issue. And in fact, you might be 100% right in your opinion. But that secondary thing is of massive importance to that person that you are interacting with. And so when you cast judgment on them and decide that they should know better and that it shouldn't matter to them, all you've done is placed yourself above them. You've ceased to walk in love for that person. Now besides the obvious issue here of your own pride... Being placed in that inferior position creates a stumbling block for that other person which could lead them to sin. Look at the end of our passage for a moment. Verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Admittedly, this verse can be a little hard to wrap our minds around. But what Paul is basically saying here is that If this person 
eats when they are not convinced that God would approve it, they've eaten from a position of doubt rather than faith. And that's sinful because they are doing something which they believe God is opposed to. Think for a moment of a time when, you know, maybe you might have done something you weren't supposed to. And maybe you did that because you were, a group, you were with a group of other people and you didn't want to be left out. Or you didn't want to come across as that, you know, holy person that's too good for that stuff. Imagine for a moment that it's your conviction that a Christian should never drink a drop of alcohol. But you find yourself in this sort of situation, and so in that moment, you bend to the pressure, and you have a drink. Just one. Now, do I think having a pint or a finger of whiskey is a sin? No, I don't, at all. But, in that situation, for that person, it would be. Because in that moment... They are seeking to be a people-pleaser rather than a God-pleaser. The sin isn't the alcohol. It's what's in their heart. The sin was in whom they are choosing to live for and follow in that moment. The sin was in whom they sought to please. And the sin of the one who is strong in faith is that you led them there. You brought them to that place. And so Paul is saying to the mature Christian, don't do that to them. Don't lead them there. Rather, sacrifice your preference for that person so that they would not stumble but be built up in love. As he states in verse 15, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You might think they're wrong or being silly, but how you act toward that person is either going to build them up or tear them down. So in that moment, decide to be for that person. Just as Christ decided to be for them, as he died for them. Let your preference in the moment die for their sake. Do not judge or place a stumbling block before your fellow believer, but rather love them more than you love your opinion. That's our first point this morning. Second thing, do not be distracted by the secondary things, but rather seek first the kingdom of God. Where do we see this principle? Well, in truth, it's kind of the whole chapter. The entire context of this chapter is about primary and secondary distinctions. But Paul really brings this home to us in verse 17, where he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul here is presenting a contrast between what truly matters and what doesn't. He's saying, don't make the church about what you're eating and drinking, about all those secondaries, but decide, rather, to be a people of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the crux of walking in the faith. In some ways, we want the faith to be about those secondary things because they're really easy to deal with. 
We can come up with a million Band-Aid solutions to deal with those things, but the primary things, that's where it gets tough. And righteousness, peace, and joy, those are most certainly primaries. Just think for a moment about what righteousness is. What did Paul go on and on and on about for 11 chapters? That we are sinful and we chose our sin over God's righteousness. And so at the right time, the righteousness of God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. That our perfectly righteous and holy Lord was crucified on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin, so that through His grace, we are covered with His righteousness. We are covered by that which we could never have achieved on our own. That's a primary thing. We have to agree on that. To disagree with that is to put you outside of the faith. And so that's, that, that is primary. We don't, get, we don't get to dispute that. And so Paul's point is, let's pursue that. All of these secondary things we want to sort of cloud our vision, uh-uh, we're going to set those aside. We'll deal with them. Don't worry. We'll get there. But our primary purpose is to pursue that. We're going to pursue the righteousness of Christ together. We pursue the kingdom of God together by pursuing him who makes us righteous. The righteousness of Christ is what brought us peace with God. And so as we grow together in righteousness, as we seek Jesus together, we too have peace with one another. And if we have peace with God and with one another, what other thing could we be filled with except joy? As the Holy Spirit holds us together as his very own people. Seeking the kingdom of God together by digging deeply into the things which make for righteousness and peace and joy. It doesn't mean those secondary things will fall away. But it means that we have a better foundation from which to discuss those things. Because instead of our default position being judgment, our default position is knowing that deep down that person wants the same thing as me. They want to be close to Jesus just like I do, even if the way they're going about it looks different. And when that is the case, we can actually have productive conversations with those we disagree with. Imagine that. You could say to that person who only eats fish on Fridays, well, why do you do that? What is it about that practice that draws you closer to Jesus? What is it about that that helps you to pursue righteousness and be filled with peace and joy? And maybe they come back with a response that makes a ton of sense. Because guess what? Fasting is a good practice. If it's a practice that draws you closer to Christ, it's a good thing. And so you have that conversation and maybe you walk away with greater respect for that person and the position that they hold. Or maybe they can't answer it at all. Maybe they have no idea why they're doing that except, well, that's what we do. You may have heard that phrase once or twice around a church. That's just what we do. And so they can't answer it. 
And so now they are being encouraged to think about why they practice what they practice. To be able to answer that why question. What is this really all about? Maybe they think more deeply and clearly about their spiritual practices. And maybe in the end, they stick with it. But they're on a firmer foundation now. Or maybe they decide, actually, no. This isn't benefiting me. And they set it aside for something that does. Either way, it's productive. The difference between this scenario and the previous one is that we haven't set one another up to sin, but we've walked together by having genuine conversation and fellowship based on a shared gospel value, the desire to pursue righteousness, peace, and joy together. And so when we do that, you know what you're accomplishing? Verse 19. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. When the church of Jesus Christ pursues righteousness, peace, and joy together, the entire church is built up. We all win as both the weak and the strong are drawn closer to Jesus and to one another. And so instead of looking like a bunch of people who can't even agree with one another on anything, we look like one body. One people with one purpose to see the kingdom of God lived here on earth and to be growing together day by day to be more like Jesus. In other words, we look like genuine disciples rather than nominal play actors. Do not fixate and become obsessed with secondary things, but rather pursue the kingdom of God together. Last thing, as we seek to build each other up, pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy, we're not to set aside our convictions, but rather to walk with integrity. Paul emphasizes that the kingdom is not about the secondary things, which some of the weak want to elevate to primary things. Now, he's not saying that to serve the weak, the strong should begin to do the same thing to take on what the weak say is primary and to, to elevate that. Nor is he telling you to change your mind. Verse 22, he says, The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Now, we could read that and think, well, Paul's telling us never to speak about Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you can have your opinion on a divisive issue but that not all opinions need to be shared at all times, especially when sharing that opinion would tear down the other person rather than build them up. Hold your position with integrity. If you think eating fish only on Friday is the most important part of your faith, I'd love to hear why, but hey, keep eating that fish. No one's telling you you have to lie about your view to keep peace. Or that you have to hold on to fence-sitting, mushy-middle kind of views on things. Have your opinions. After all, Paul himself said he does, right? Verse 14, he's utterly convinced of his position. The lesson here is that if we are unable to share that view from a position of loving that person, 
of building them up rather than tearing them down, then the time to share that view has not yet come. And so before we decide to open our mouths and air out our thoughts, we submit those thoughts to the Lord. We take a beat before we speak. You take a moment of pause before you click the send button. My goodness, how could the church benefit if Christians would just take a moment to consider if what they are about to post online is actually going to build people up or tear them down? Friends, I got to tell you, I have written some long responses to things I've seen online, like multi-page missives, and it's almost always to other Christians But I thank the Lord for how he's moved in me and caused me to take that moment. To sure, write that thing out, you know, open up that Word document, fill it out, get all your thoughts out, and then select all of it and press the delete button. To not post it. Because while it might make me feel great, Who doesn't like telling that person you disagree with just how wrong they are? It might make you feel great. But in the end, all you have done is created more division where division is not necessary. Before we air our opinion, take a moment. Ask Jesus how best to pursue that which builds up so that even in disagreement, the people of God might be brought together. Don't lie about what you think. Definitely do not call what is evil good. But how we approach one another and how we interact in our disagreements matters. As tempting as it is to correct everyone... Sometimes we're just not ready, and so sometimes you need to hold your tongue. Before we speak, ask the Lord how to serve that person. Ask Jesus to help us lead the way in seeking the kingdom of God together, showing the integrity of our faith by prizing the person and prizing God's church more than our own opinion. So that even in our disagreements, our words and our actions can build one another up. We can pursue righteousness, peace, and joy together. May that be the heart of this church and of all of God's people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.